Broadcast. It's good to have everyone here on board, and um, today we're going to be talking about uh, covenantal Calvinism. Covenantal Calvinism. A lot of people want to defend uh, the doctrines of grace at you know tulip, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints. They want to take those and they want to defend them individually, and they want to defend them uh, directly from the scriptures. So usually, what happens? Let's take limited atonement for example, which is one that is highly debated. Uh, and it's probably the most controversial out of all of the out of all of the doctrines of grace. And so let's take lim- limited atonement. And, and usually, what happens is something like this: limited atonement is true because of this verse, this verse, and this verse. Right? That's the typical. T- that's a typical modus operandi of the Calvinists when they're when they're trying to defend. Um, the doctrines of grace, especially if they've just come to the doctrines of grace and they're trying to interact with Arminian family members and friends, and you know they're they're scrambling to try to defend these things from the Scripture, which is not a bad thing. It's it's not it's not there's nothing wrong with defending it this that way. I mean there there is there are strong exegetical arguments that you can make for limited atonement directly from the New Testament and even from the Old Testament. But I think one. Uh, kind of a kind of a death knell strategy one that would actually round up all of the all of those uh doctrines of grace with the exception of total depravity you'd have to back up a step further um to 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 get to that one but but to but to address the more controversial articles of the doctrines of grace you could wrap all those up and argue for all of them indirectly by simply um by simply stating the nature of or defining the nature of the, the new covenant. And what I mean is this. Those last four, uh, those latter four doctrines of grace, um, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints, all of those need to be seen within the context of covenant. In other words, those do not apply to anyone apart from God's covenant. You cannot have them apart from being related to God in covenant. And so the, the question becomes, and, and if anyone wants to contest that, that's fine, but uh, I, I, I don't personally know anyone who would, who would disagree with, with that. And, and, I, and I, was, I would assume that anyone who would disagree with that would be, uh, would be the, the minority, uh, would be certainly in the minority, even in, even in Arminian circles. I think that I think that if you if you believe that the new covenant is the saving covenant, then you have to you have to admit that 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 the new covenant that the saving benefits of Christ come through the new covenant, right? Now, if that's the case, then you can back up and you can you can defend all of the doctrines of grace with the exception of total depravity. Um, although you you might be able to make an indirect or 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 uh, kind of an argument of implication for total depravity in the sense that we wouldn't need this covenant if we weren't totally totally depraved. But that's neither here nor there. The the four most controversial articles of the doctrines of grace, and the, actually the one most controversial article, limited atonement, can be defended from God's covenant, and actually should be defended from God's covenant. This is why it's important actually to get the covenant right, because if we get the covenant wrong then actually, as Calvinists, the, the doctrines of grace would actually fall apart 
the doctrines of grace need to be seen within the context of covenant, not abstracted from it. And they need to be developed upon the basis of what we believe the covenants actually are in nature. Okay, so one of the most, I mean, there are other places, of course, to find the new covenant in, in, in the old covenant. But one of the most explicit places, one of the most explicit areas of uh, new covenant revelation is in Jeremiah 31. If you go to Jeremiah 31 and you turn to, turn to verses 31 through uh, 34, you see the covenant there stated. Now, let's just read that together. It says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. All right, now let's, let's pay attention to, uh, to, the, to the language here. This is a covenant that the Lord, for example, or for first, firstly and foremostly, that the Lord is going to make. This is a covenant that the Lord is going to make. Um, the, the language, you know, you get, to, you get to Hebrews 8, and you see that, you know, th- this comes out and becomes even stronger. Uh, but it's 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 actually quite strong enough in in verses 31 through 34 that by that statement when the Lord says I will make this covenant and then proceeds to uh, only apply conditions to himself things that he will do things that he's committing himself to do yet there is no kind of chiastic other side to it where there are conditions for man to keep you understand that this is a covenant that God is going to unilaterally not only reveal, but also establish and conclude. And that makes it different than the covenants previously, because the covenants previously always had a man side to them, always had a man side to them. Um, you look at the covenant with between God and Abraham, uh, and that covenant kind of builds from Genesis 15 to Genesis 17. And in Genesis 17, it becomes very clear that there's a man side to that with the institution of fleshly circumcision and all of that. Um, and then obviously this is the case in the Mosaic Covenant where the law is given, and then everything from Abraham is imported into that and, 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 is, and is kind of translated into that and, and remains through and in the, the Mosaic Covenant, which is why we say the Mosaic Covenant is just an expansion of the Abrahamic covenant. Um, and then you have the Davidic covenant, which has conditions for uh, those who would occupy the throne. And if they violate those conditions, which is God's law, then they will, uh, then they will, they, their, their line will be cut off essentially. And this actually happens. It, it, it ends up happening. But the new covenant is different in that none of those, none of that, that dynamic does not exist within it. So already this is something that God is unilaterally doing and I think it, you could extrapolate from that easily, easily. And you think about the nature of election. Well, if election is a covenant benefit, right? Uh, Ephesians tells us that we are chosen in Christ, right? So that would seem to make it a covenant benefit that it's in this person we are chosen. So election being a covenant benefit can't, can't be conditional if the nature of the covenant through which it comes is unconditional in the first place. So it has to be unconditional election, right? But let's go to limited atonement. Because actually in verse 31, there is a definite or a limited atonement established. Um, this covenant is to be made with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not to get into the eschatological argument. However, you see those terms. Those terms cannot mean all people everywhere indiscriminately. All right? Uh, that's uh, or without exception, right? 
it, it, they, that, that statement cannot mean all people everywhere without exception. Uh, so there is a definite or limited, there's a, a definitional element here to the, the, the objects of this covenant. This covenant, in other words, is not being made with the whole world, all right? This covenant is being made with Israel and the house of Judah. I think true Israel, of course, is, is all those who are in Christ, is Christ himself, really, and then all those who are in Christ. Um, but no matter how you see that, the new covenant has to be, um, has to be definitional. It has to be given to a definitional people um, uh, because that's what it says here in, in verse 31. Israel and Judah cannot be taken to mean the entirety of the world uh, is what I'm trying to say. And, um, and, and, and now you might say, well, yeah, the covenant is made to Israel and the house and the, to the house of Israel and the house of Judah, but, but the atonement applies to all people. Well, you can't abstract the atonement from the covenant. The covenant, remember, is uh, is established in the very blood of Jesus Christ. So, and and so the blood of Jesus Christ purchases this covenant and the people to whom it applies. So you can't divorce the blood from the covenant. The blood the blood is in some is in some sense the covenant. There is the covenant in the blood of Jesus. And and we see this in the in the Lord's Supper, when when you know he takes the cup and he says, "This this is the new covenant in my blood," right? And um, and so in a sense, we can look at the blood of Jesus. We can say that is the new covenant. And we know that, and we know from Jeremiah thirty-one, and this is recapitulated in Hebrews eight, by the way. So this is only this is not only a an Old Testament conception that that uh, that 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 lacks reference to or. Or, or relevance to a new covenant people, this is recapitulated, reaffirmed in Hebrews 8 as the definitional revelation of what the new covenant would be, right? And, and, and the author of Hebrews 8 is, is, is actually stating it as if it has been fulfilled in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the other greater sacrifice. And so you can't, you can't, take the blood and separate it from the covenant because the blood and the covenant are mutually inclusive. No blood, no covenant. No covenant, no blood. You got to have them together. And and that blood, that covenant, so Jeremiah 31 says, as well as Hebrews 8, is to be made, is to be given to the house of Israel and the house of Judah which by no means can mean the whole world. So already you're saying that Christ's blood, in some sense, in a special sense, applies only to Israel and the house of Judah. The question would only be at that point, who is Israel and the house of Judah? Who is the house of Israel? Who is the house of Judah? And, um, and then you would have to, and then the, the, the debate would be moved on. But at least you would agree at that point with your Arminian friend that, that if you could get this far in the conversation, that of course, and if that if that person was willing to reason from these particular areas of, of the text, you would get to a place where you could say, okay, the covenant and the blood, uh, which is mutually inclusive with the covenant, is given to Israel and Judah. All right, so uh, a definite people, a, a definite people, a corporate people. And then you just ask the question, well, who is... Israel. What is Israel? Right? Um, but I think it's important to note that that the covenant is not here 
There is no promise here that the covenant, which entails the blood of Christ, is is being made to made with or given to the whole world, and um, and this, of course, I think is is problematic for the Arminian who would say, well, you know, Jesus' blood is for everybody. Uh, the atonement is 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 given for all, right? And uh, and that's just not the case. It's given to Israel and the house of Judah. So. You know, and there and there could be all sorts of uh, follow-up, maybe follow-up uh, augments to, you know, or or rebuttals to that, and they'll say, well, no, it's made with whoever is in Israel or Judah, right? So so a person, anyone can come and be part of Israel, right? Anyone can become and can come and be part of Israel. Well, uh, obviously that's that's true in the sense that this. This this offer is is made to all, but in terms of the the actual object of the atonement, the object of the atonement is Israel and the house of Judah, and so you couldn't you couldn't say that the that the blood of Jesus is given to the whole world. You couldn't say that it's that it's that it's that it's made or that it was shed for for everyone across the board. No, it's shed for Israel. And Judah, you just got you actually, and 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 to correct the language, uh, and you know, on the basis of the development of the text itself, it's made with Israel, all right, because Israel and Judah are brought together, and and so it's made with Israel, and so the only question, the only question becomes, who is Israel? What is Israel? Um, and um, and so anyway, so that's just another way to think of defending the doctrines of grace. Uh, especially limited atonement, which is something that I'm sure um, people watching this channel and listening to this podcast have dealt with, you know, and discussing these things with family members, friends, even church members, perhaps. And so I hope this helps. Uh, give a thumbs up if, if you appreciated it, if it was uh, helpful to you. And don't forget to subscribe and uh, click the bell for notifications. That's how you can learn of new content and all of that. So God bless.